All right. Well, I'm here today in the studio with Boca Floja. Yep. A uh, friend of mine, a multidisciplinary artist, hip hop yeah. artist from from Mexico by way of the Bronx. Yeah. 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 So I, I'll let him go ahead and introduce himself better. Uh. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. I was I was born in Mexico City. I live in I live currently in the Bronx. Um. I I produce in in different. Uh, media formats mostly i started doing um music in mexico like rap probably part of the first generation of, of hip-hop artists in the city mexico city uh but i explored or expanded my my uh production towards um filmmaking more like photography um i do a lot of spoken word as well and um community organizer organizing um also like uh cultural production in general like mm-hmm. events and exchange and that type of stuff yeah mm-hmm. so it's almost like you're even more than an artist really a cultural worker right yeah 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 for sure definitely me and me and my audio engineer here chris christopher were just having a talk about the use of the word you know cultural worker artist, or creative and how yeah. those they yeah. all have kind of different meanings behind yeah them. no for sure for sure yeah. um so i guess we'll dive right into the interview mm-hmm you said you were you were sort of part of the first generation of hip hop artists. I am, yeah. Um, coming out of Mexico. Yeah. I guess what was that like? I mean, th- what was the the climate for that? Uh, it's it's very interesting because uh, at the time, uh, internet was not accessible for everybody. Mm-hmm. We're talking like uh, early '90s, so due to the process of immigration that was the 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 way we were getting um cassette tapes from the u.s with music mostly uh mexican immigrants coming during the holidays like back and forth just bringing the music right so that was kind of like the way i I first like connected to to hip-hop music and um i started organizing some of the the first uh, hip-hop parties like Mm. it's like just a gathering of people like connecting with with hip-hop music not really um understanding like tons lots of the politics it was more like a like a connection based on on the body that it was not even like uh linguistic because Mm -hmm. most of us we we didn't speak english at the time properly Mm -hmm. right or quote-unquote properly right but um yeah it was kind of like a natural progression we started kind of like First of all, trying to just connect through music, then like emulating a little bit like the, like just the art form itself, to, until we get to the point where we started like producing our own our own stuff, and mm-hmm. suddenly like we had a we started having like a small audience, and then like the rest right. was just like the natural progression wow. of it. You know, I see. That's um, that's interesting because that's in a lot of ways that's how you know hip hop started in New York, right? Yeah. It was like house party dj then eventually they started producing records so Mm -hmm. it's it's almost as if when certain political climates and and kind of social identities exist Mm -hmm. and experiences it just naturally leads to hip-hop absolutely yeah it it actually started like mostly like on the on the peripheral areas of the city that in the context of mexico that's kind of like where the most like marginalized communities exist or also like um places that look more like you know like the like uh housing projects and all mm-hmm. that so that was pretty much where it started so it's like a very similar phenomenon for sure now i know that in the u.s hip-hop kind of goes through iterations and and 
uh, really generations, right, of artists. Um, and with that comes varying degrees of politics. Yeah. So hip hop once started out at a very political place. Now it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah. Um, I know that in, in Mexico and a lot of Latin America, you know, reggaeton is huge and these kind of forms of hip hop that are very, mm-hmm. I mean, all hip hop is political, right? Yeah. But that aren't quote unquote overtly political. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's, it's a very, very similar phenomenon. Like nowadays, at least in the context of Latin America, the the main attention is the divided between uh, rap battling, coming from like a very like um, like non-political tradition is pretty much based on like like homoerotic type of like. Uh, forms of the respect you know kind of mm-hmm. like that type of stuff like just, just the bravado of like i'm the best it's like mm-hmm. so all about it's funny because it's almost like 100 percent about like penetrating the other that's yeah. kind of like the winner yeah. of the battle right while being like kind of as hyper masculine as possible yeah extreme yeah 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 so it's it's all about rap battle and also now there's like a, a big movement of trap music in in spanish oh, wow. that is yeah. very very powerful but people don't associated with hip-hop like they don't really understand like the connection between both worlds and both mm-hmm. experiences which is also kind of like myopic you know mm-hmm. and i mean i see a lot of what you do because you have a very extensive discography right like yeah you, i mean you've been making music for how long now uh for like um officially like i released like my first like little you know like a demo you know like um in 1997 so <laughs> I mean, technically, like, the first 10 years, I, I cannot even hear that because it, it really <laughs> hurts my ears, you know? It's, mm-hmm. like, very, like, basic production. Like, the I was, like, still, like, learning how mm-hmm. to, like, you know, rap yeah. very much because we didn't have, like, a lot of uh, references at the time that we were rapping in Spanish. Mm-hmm. We were pretty much, like, emulating or trying to emulate but translate it into Spanish, like, Actually. from English. So right. it, was, it, was, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. So it took me, I guess, like like good ten years to actually like create like my own voice and my own sound, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah. I have like tons of stuff from from the early d- days. You know? Yeah, I mean that kind of leads into my what I was trying to get at is through your own personal work. I mean, even just as a listener and as a fan, you know, I can hear both artistic growth. I mean, artistic growth, but also kind of like a political growth, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of many of my favorite rappers who who have to almost have to start off in one place to get to yeah another place yeah for sure i mean i, I at the at the at the beginning i was pretty much like i was 18 years old 19 years old trying to be like fat joe or like <laughs> one of those guys you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i was like obsessed with like you know like fantasizing about like you know the, this whole capitalist construction of like wealth and yeah. And success, right? Mm-hmm. I was trying to get signed to a major label, that type of route, you know. So mm-hmm. slowly, you know, it was like a, a progression in, in, in which I, at some point, like, understood, like, my my body first. And then the responsibility that comes with it when it comes to artistic production, you mm-hmm. know. So then. And, know. Um, well, and I think that... So hip hop doesn't exist independent of capitalism, right? Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, at first it might've kind of been created as almost a reaction to capitalism and, and a yeah. transgression against it. But now it's extremely hard for artists and listeners to navigate hip hop and capitalism, yeah. at least conscious listeners, mm. right? Um, so you being an independent artist, how, how do you kind of, how do you navigate the intersection of hip hop and capitalism? It's it's uh, it's tough because um, when we think about capitalism and art, we have to go through cultural industries as as an institution that, in a way, filters and silences certain voices and certain narratives. Mm -hmm. So it gets hard because also we need to capitalize and we need right. to make it sustainable. So. It's almost impossible to uh, navigate without, like, at some point negotiating with some of those entities, mm -hmm. right? Right. So even if 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 my work, when it comes to capitalizing, comes more from like, let's say, academic institutions, it's still like directly attached to a, a structure that is like absolutely problematic in capitalism mm -hmm. and so on. So I I understand that as 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 a as a as a line of calculated risks that's that's all i do is based on that because i just gotta like keep my 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 agenda and sometimes i need to play and dance with those entities mm -hmm. knowing that i might never be invited never be booked again mm -hmm. but you know just is is what i can do because mm -hmm. otherwise like what 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 am i bringing to the table if i'm not like talking my stuff you know right. what i'm saying or yeah yeah so I know that one time you asked me a question in an interview that I want to throw back on yeah. you. Uh, I don't remember the exact question, but yeah. you essentially were asking me, you know, there's kind of Kendrick Lamar and Beyonce who are taking on these quote-unquote radical aesthetics yeah. and lyricism, but then it seems like there's also these more independent artists who mm. have a different kind of political mm. message, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you make of that? Well, it's nowadays I, I feel like uh, it's complicated because cultural industries and, and, and like liberal democracies constructed this, this um, or designed uh, this concept of, of the conscious artist now that mm -hmm. it's actually very necessary for them to, for the, for the system to in a way allow quote-unquote critical voices that in a way are like you know in disagreement of like the general structure of mm -hmm. things because liberal democracies need those voices to justify their own like quote-unquote democratic right. process right so um sometimes you have like all these voices like uh like kendrick or like j cole or like all those guys are considered like the new conscious artists that you know, at the same time they're having dinner with with Obama, right? Mm -hmm. And and nowadays it's like very very popular to have like uh, like an opinion against Donald Trump, that is directly attached to to glorifying Barack Obama right. in past administrations. Right. So I believe it's it's some sort of some sort of like um, safe form of of dissent that in a way is very is it's it's still controlled and dependent on on hegemonies mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. so you have like certain type of community certain type of artists that be like oh but like 
uh, Rihanna is is like extremely problematic. I just listen to conscious hip hop, and then it's like, all right, what are the values of conscious hip hop? You know, like there's some other communities that are like, oh, I just listen to old school hip hop because that's like the true essence in in terms of discourse and narrative and aesthetics. And I'm just listening to Brand Nubian and Lord Jamar, and <laughs> and that and that guy is just like talking so much like ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff, you know, all the time. So I I think that um, we need to like check again like what what's the 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 politics behind all that stuff you know Mm -hmm. because sometimes you 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 can have like a very popular mainstream artist that can do like a a very transgressive action Mm -hmm. that can be like more more relevant socially than tons of other like Mm quote-unquote like conscious people of color you know what i'm saying yeah definitely i like what you said about the conscious hip-hop artist being kind of a social construct right yeah um because it puts a lot of things in perspective. I, I think that when we do have these mainstream and huge, again, socially conscious hip-hop artists, they may seem radical, but when you get down to it, they don't risk much, yeah, right? No. Both in their message or in their, like, their bank account. <laughs> they yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or another, even outside of hip-hop, I mean, Lady Gaga, her whole Born This Way era was praised as political, but really it was... It was like the democratic line, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean... Um, so for I think for outside spectators, though, it's hard to, de- to delineate between what is this kind of fake, deep, socio-political yeah, transgression yeah. and what is, like, the real artistry, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, man. Honestly, sometimes I'm, I'm very, like... It's hard for me to, to relate to those things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, I, I, I like some of the music, you know, but I, I, I can go, like, both ends, you know? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I th- it's hard for me, because I like mainstream stuff. I yeah. like independent, underground. Yeah. On the way here, I was listening to Cardi B's new album. Yeah, that's cool. You know, yeah. and it's she's got some dope cuts on there. Of course. But yeah. I also listen to it at the extent of like <laughs> yeah but it's just it's just f- it's just corny that like this you know like the the gurus of of like real hip-hop and consciousness are gonna like take away your credentials as, as mm-hmm. a as a hip-hopper right because all oh, you're listening to cardi b it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like come on man. it's like it's a really way of, it's like a way of policing right it's, yeah it's, yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. so um not to change the subject too much yeah, but I know a lot of your work, especially with your recent documentary, has dealt with kind of anti-blackness in yeah. in Latin America. Yeah. Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah, well, um, I guess the uh, just dealing with and anal- uh, analyzing uh, colonialism is is been part of like my my body of work in, uh, through music and spoken word and all that stuff. But I realized that at some point. Um, visuals are very 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 important just in order to um, bring the dialogue towards a, a larger community or just a different community that is not necessarily connected to music mm-hmm. for example so um, I was that was always on my mind and pretty much is, is based on my very personal experience when it comes to dealing with like race politics in the context of Latin America right mm-hmm. so I decided to to work on this documentary also because most of the 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 work that I've seen when it comes to that topic is like very very like safe or you saw mm-hmm. like that like very like National Geographic type of or like PBS or you have right. uh, Henry Louis Gates doing mm-hmm. that like Black and Latin American <laughs> thing that you know yeah. So I was more interested in in 
talking about discussing discussing power and historical uh, issues, and not only uh, just the cultural aspect of it. No, mm -hmm. I, I, it's cool like talking about drums and like food and all that stuff, but we need to discuss other things, right? Mm -hmm. And more than anything, um, being critical and responsible when it comes to um, analyzing the whole Latino experience as a, as a, as a construction that is based and founded on, on anti-indigeneity and anti-blackness, anti mm -hmm. right? And, you know, not a lot of people want to discuss that. Not a lot of people want to talk about that because uh, it's pretty much questioning Latin American nationalism that sustained the economy, the culture, the, um, the politics of the region. So mm -hmm. that was kind of like the uh, humble attempt to open up certain discussions in, in that artistic format. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that... So one of the things that... I mean, one of the... For me, one of the biggest takeaways of uh, Nana Dijo, right? Yeah. The documentary was... And I think a lot, of I realize it because I'm not from here and, uh, you know, uh, people outside the U.S. can recognize a little bit better. But you can you can take someone who is identified, no, I was going to say identitized, that's not a word, <laughs> who, is, yeah. who is called one identity in the U.S. So it's called black or Latino in the U.S. And then you place them in, in Mexico or Dominican Republic or Jamaica, wherever. Mm. And then they either have the chance to call themselves something different or they're just seen as something different, right? Yeah. So, like, what blackness means in the Bronx may not be what blackness means yeah. in, in Cuba. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, how exactly, how exactly is that? I don't know what I'm trying to say right now. More so, putting that in the context of what you said, a colonial history, right? Yeah. Um, what are the effects of that socially? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. In, in the context of Mexico in particular? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, like the very, I guess, like the tangible, most immediate effect of, of that is, is the fact that like half of the, of the population is living in extreme poverty and, and there's no, um, it's, it perpetuates that model or like that lack of, of, of recognition and information and like it it's not it's stopping the process from developing uh, a political force that in a way is gonna um, create like a, a force that is gonna make a balance against like the hegemony in general it's like half of the population living in extreme poverty most of them are people of indigenous or African descent. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, a, that's a reality. And then we're living a, a, a model of, of internal colonialism mm -hmm. in which f after Mexican independence, administrators of wealth and power are the same white Mexicans that are still in power right now. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like immediate issues, I mean, there's a very important mm -hmm. point, right? So... Um, starting from 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 that point then of course like the epistemic genocide like the mm -hmm. production of, you know knowledge right. production that has been like you know neutralized mm -hmm. cultural culture religion and so on right. so we can start from there you know mm -hmm. so it's just the, that process of coloniality just yeah. sets in it perpetuates like a model of internal colonialism and you mm -hmm. just like yeah it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's 
and it's pretty similar to the processes that happen like all over the world pretty right much, you know? right yeah so. yeah just anecdotally i have a, a friend of mine from the dominican republic yeah and who is i mean dark much darker than me and you right yeah. and but refuses to call himself black yeah you know his dad calls himself black but he himself is like i'm not black you know and yeah so it's this it's just such like a, a system of self-hate sort of right uh internalized colonialism is the best way to put it because i think that it's also attached to masculinity um you know sexuality gender race it's kind of all connected um so in terms of your experiences between mexico and the bronx do you see that the this is going to be a really basic way of asking this but i think it might be the best way do you see like the patterns of internalized colonialism and internalized racism and et cetera, et cetera. Do you see them as being the same or just vastly different? It's v it's very different, um, but it operates in very similar ways. Um, first, I think it, it's I guess like I have to like explain myself better. I think there's two processes. One is like yes, internalized colonialism as a as a consequence of like you know, the, the the oppression and the way it operates in our psyche. And then it's like internal colonialism as, as a political model of mm. exploitation I in see. which in which the, the colonizer is another Mexican. It's like not mm -hmm. a foreign enti entity. So mm -hmm. that as an economic model right. s was, the, was the thing that was su sustaining um, the country economically in which you know black and brown people are are the workforce mm -hmm. and the, the labor pretty much you know so it was i guess like a a new form of enslavement pretty much in the context of the bronx it's it's funny because you know when i when i moved to when i moved to new york i automatically became puerto rican right mm -hmm. so i was that's kind of like I w the way i was defined <laughs> right based yeah. on my body yeah. right yeah and uh most of the social spaces that I that I navigate, I I became like a light skinned person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In the context of Mexico, it was the exact opposite. I was n I was never called call, called black in Mexico, because there's quote unquote no black people in Mexico right. according to the social imaginary, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So white black people in Mexico are called Cubans, like that's that's kind of <laughs> like the, the you know it's so ridiculous, so silly, you know. And uh, so you know, I was I was discriminated based on on skin tone in Mexico, right? Because I was considered dark, and uh, so it's like whole different politics, whole different dynamics. But at the end, you know, it goes back to like very similar processes of oppression that mm. are quite you know comparable. You know? Mm -hmm. So I think that, and I think a lot of your your work artistically is. And culturally is trying to get people to understand these complexities across mm. kind of across borders internationally um, but what would you say is one of the biggest kind of hurdles or, or blocks hindering people because because for example we just mentioned Cardi B when she yeah. first came on the scene and was you know I mean she says very 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 basic Spanish she'll say like three yeah. three words in a line you know yeah. but it, yeah. it blew a lot of people in the US's mind that a black mm. person was using good rap and had mm. an accent like that mm. so mm. how do we get to a point in your opinion where it doesn't blow people's mind anymore that that blackness is a global phenomenon right well um i guess like at least in the, in the context of mexico and latin america um 
I faced like a lot of um uh, I guess like negative attention because I'm since especially in the context of the cultural industries mm-hmm. are dominated by by white Latin Americans. So once I'm criticizing like alternativity and I'm criticizing uh, all of those constructions that were dominated by them, the easiest route is to invalidate my my voice. Mm. So it's 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 hard because you know it's uh, it's it's a discussion that doesn't is not f- is not founded on political structures that in one way or another are going to create some form of resistance. At least in the context of the U.S., mm-hmm. there's going to be like certain groups and associations and, and political forces that even if they're little or not as strong as the hegemony are going to say like yo wait a minute mm-hmm. we're we're here you know right. in the context of Latin America is way different cuz even like there are some organizations politically that are doing work when it comes to rec- recognizing like uh you know blackness for example mm-hmm. are most mostly focused on 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 visibility you know mm. so the discussion on 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 blackness as a political entity is still like very behind, you know. So At yeah. least in Mexico, you know. You know, of course, you have Brazil, you have mm. Cuba, you, you know. So right, right, and I, I think, um, s- yeah, it's fascinating because when we, you know, I'm like a, I'm a Pan Africanist, so when yeah. I talk about building black power, I mean globally, <laughs> you yeah, know, of it's a pretty straightforward concept to me, but it confuses others. Yeah, and the one of the things I've run into when it comes into a cultural work aspect is the notion that 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 uh like exoticism and fetishization so yeah. a lot of people will say and i'm really only using cardi b as an example because i was just listening to her yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know cardi b or amara la negra right yeah, yeah. um that they are getting radio time now because they can be seen as exotic or that they're kind of pushing yeah. themselves away from blackness right yeah. but i think it's kind of the opposite they're really leaning into just a different form of blackness but you know, how do you navigate that, or what is the response to that? Uh, it it is a thin line because at 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 one point, like we all have been exoticized. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that I'm getting booked at all these colleges and like, you know, this like white professors are like, oh, this is like the intellectual savage. You know, mm-hmm. so that I mean, we all part <laughs> of that. You know, that's <laughs> right. reality. You know, so but we 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 need to know how to how to move our pieces. You know, there's like. Uh, okay, I'm getting the resources, but there's lines that I don't let anybody cross. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not easy. And uh, for example, at, at a larger scale, when you when you talk about Cardi B or Amara La Negra, it's like they they have like hopefully like they get to a point where where they can apply like the process of politicization mm-hmm. to 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 a point or to an extent in which they can make certain decisions in order to not cross that line completely because otherwise it's just going to be absolutely neutralized, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it becomes like a buffoonery type of thing, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So, because I can already see that, like, I know why certain type of white people I are, like, enjoying for, for from stuff from Cardi B because they, they started to entertain that as, a, like, a weird form of spectacle mm-hmm. type of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, where she's like, oh, she's, like, she's just funny, but what why are you laughing about right. that, you know what I'm saying? 
yeah. and it's like very perverse the reasons mm -hmm. why they're laughing you know and I, I think that when it comes to artistry you know artists build an, an aesthetic right it's something yeah. that you're constantly building onto. it's not like you set it down and you walk away from it yeah. um, and we can compare you know that's like Nicki Minaj who who did the wigs and the outrageous outfits and the accents and why people ate it up yeah. But the second that she started wearing her natural hair, started speaking about being a black woman, yeah. you know, a lot of those white fans are nowhere to be found now. No, 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 of course. Um, and I see that in Latin America a lot, too. I was watching an interview with um, uh, with Jay Balvin. Okay. And, I mean, he's not black, but, <laughs> but he yeah, was, yeah. you know, he was, he was just talking about his kind of recent U uh, crossing into the U.S. market. And the interview was in, in English, and he just started going in Spanish. And it was just like you could see in the interviewer's eyes a disconnect where she was like kind oh. of, she was being like reminded that she's, she's talking to someone who was from Latin America, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. Like that, that um, phenomenon of like reggaeton going like uh, super mainstream. And most of the, of the, the big stars are like white Latinos. Mm -hmm. It's like, what happened with with artists like Tego Calderon, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm. in the context of like this like white social imaginary, he his aesthetics are like grotesque, right? So, yeah. But mm -hmm. you know, it is it is it is how it works. Yeah, I mean, do you see the same thing happening with hip hop right now? Because you know, you mentioned reggaeton being whitewashed, hip hop. Yeah. All the most of, of the rappers charting right now are like non-black people. Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely, like. Um, Hip hip hop became like the most popular music in the world, mm -hmm. so um, the the market is is you know the, all the all those big labels are just deeply um, defending and connected to the world's like capitalist interests, mm -hmm. whiteness in general. So it's it's hard, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Same phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's wild because Walter Rodney, you know Walter Rodney, um, has a he has a concept, the guerrilla intellectual, yeah, which is like this, you know, this dope scholar activist person who is able to just educate, but in like a guerrilla kind of hands-on yeah. way. I, that's a lot of ways how I see a lot of hip-hop artists, yeah, the, the ones who care about the art. Yeah. Um, but it feels like we're coming to a moment where the guerrilla intellectual is being stripped from hip-hop as much as possible. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, and, and and even like I, I think one of the reasons is also because there's some form of like certain constructions that you know certain interpretations of what hip hop should be that in a way sometimes they're 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 clash and and they're in opposition of of political mo mobilization mm -hmm. that I I deeply disagree you know like there's a, like a whole group of people that are you know probably like good artists and they're not into like this over capitalist uh, approach to hip hop but they're they're also stuck in in this in the aesthetics of the golden era mm -hmm. that in a way are like still like politically absolutely like neutralized mm -hmm. so or politically outdated a lot of times outdated like you know like yeah we were like you know I you know what right I'm yeah. talking <laughs> about, so uh, it's it's hard to mm -hmm. so I mean I, I guess to steer it back to you and your artistry yeah. where do well let me ask you this yeah. are you working on new music at the mm -hmm. moment I'm, I'm working on a new album it's coming out in September okay can yeah. you drop a title or not yeah the, the album's called Nor. 
uh, N O O R. Mm-hmm. It means light, and um, and uh, yeah, I'm v- I'm very happy. I mean, it's it's um, I'm I'm excited. I, I guess like uh, it's gonna come in a time where I f- I feel like it's it's necessary to address like certain discussions and mm-hmm. the the musicality. I'm very happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's more like. Um, different different styles because i guess like my past album was a little more like upbeat and more focused on on like uh you know the body and 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 dancing as a, as a form of discourse as mm. well political mm. discourse but this Com- one is, uh-huh course, yeah. so this one is more um it has like different type of beats and so on but yeah mm-hmm. i'm very happy yeah. see because the reason i asked you that yeah is you know i've done interviews with quote unquote big name or mainstream yeah, rappers yeah. and when I ask them about any upcoming music it simply becomes a moment to promo right whereas you talked about the art of it and you talked about kind of you know liberatory joy from your past album moving yeah. forward into a political discourse on this one um, and I think that right there is kind of the disconnect I'm not going to say names right but yeah, I and I, man <laughs> yeah, I, I know man it's sometimes it's just like corny man because like I've also like get the opportunity because I promote shows or I used to promote shows a lot in Mexico and, and I used to bring like artists, mostly ki- conscious artists from the U.S. or mm-hmm. different parts of the diaspora. And it's sometimes corny because um, the constructions of success are sometimes very limited. And one one um, frequent phenomenon that that I I constantly found with artists from the U.S. is that they have this naive idea that if they make it in the U.S., automatically they maintain the same level of, of uh, I guess, attention anywhere else in the world, right? Mm-hmm. They're very concerned in this, like, U.S. borders type of construction that in a way makes them f- uh, react in very ignorant ways when it comes to what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And that applies not only to art, but in general. Mm-hmm. I've had people, I'm not going to say names again, but, like, I've had people coming from the U.S., conscious, quote-unquote, revolutionary artists that were flying into Mexico and they forgot the passport because oh, they were thinking they were going to New Mexico, you know, type of mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So it's like, my man, like, it's beyond, like, the borders of the U.S. So I yeah. think, like, we have to redefine success as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, and when we talk about the borders and success, because right now they call it a global music market, right? Um, and but in reality, it's like a U.S. market that's just touching into every other country almost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and which is extremely tied to this capitalist cultural hegemony. And so, I guess I really want to get you to speak on the idea of different countries having different music markets, because for example, across West Africa, there's like super dope hip hop being made, yeah. right? Across yeah. the Caribbean, there's yeah. super dope music being made, but we in the U.S. do not hear it. Yeah, but then yeah. if we were to go there, you know, we would hear Young Thug and Cardi B and them on their radio. It's not yeah. the other way around. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a shame. It's again consequence of like the way capitalism centralized like cultural production and you know gives uh, the U.S. A, a, a certain level of of uh, it's like it creates a hegemony in the cult- cultural context. Uh, in the case of um, several places in Latin America, you have a, um, it's a f- interesting because some of the mainstream artists 
from the US are very popular over there but the consumer is 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 the white latino that's mm. that's kind of like the are the ones that are going to like uh like a little Wayne show for right. example right very detached from like the the black and brown more like marginalized communities and you have like your own like more like small scenes in which local artists are very famous in that context they're like touring like different parts of the world but no one absolutely in the US know who they are unless there's like an immigrant community right. and you know so the prob the main issue here is that the equation is not balanced and that you know it's it's very unfortunate that all those voices like are very like relegated into certain particular spaces and when you were talking about pan africanism and and like an internationalist view and understanding there's there's a rupture mm -hmm. there's not a connection at least in the context of arts that could be useful for other like political reasons you know? mm -hmm. and i think that's the future of hip-hop in the u.s if we want it to survive it it's got to be very like back and forth it can't just be consistently the hip-hop artists in the u.s seeing themselves as the exporter of of music to the world right like they have to also receive music from the world too yeah otherwise that's that's like colonialism is you know that's straight up hip-hop becomes a religion that you're kind of pressing on a nation or mm -hmm. a, a population worldwide um yeah so i guess i mean we've covered a lot of really good topics um and really it resembles your body of work because you tie them all together very yeah. well like hip-hop documentary and art cultural hegemony um but moving forward i just i guess i'm i as a hip-hop consumer and i call myself a hip-hop head um you know i'm always concerned about the future of hip-hop because yeah. it all it, it just feels so much like it's just going nowhere at times yeah so to other listeners who might be listening and feel discouraged about the future of hip-hop because you see it a lot on the internet <coughs> you see it a lot on twitter instagram and interviews people are talking about the future of hip-hop is going nowhere what, what do you say to that ah uh, that's a tough question i would say that for us to to be um to be more i guess let me how do i frame this for us in order to to have a, a a more healthy relationship with 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 hip hop in general is like we shouldn't be obsessed either with the construction that either Bambara or or like all those guys like Cool Herc created mm -hmm. or like the 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 new you know like major label hyper mainstream type of dynamic we have to reshape hip-hop and we have to um kind of like redefine it in several ways according to the values that we believe because I, I otherwise we're just going to be like you know arguing again against each other on what's what's the true nature of hip-hop you know i guess we just have to like keep it moving and don't mm -hmm. be concerned about a, a lot of those like constructions and be very on point when it comes to not disconnecting the political and historical uh inherent attachment that hip-hop has with tons of other processes because that's what like united nations is pretty much doing you know it's like oh yeah hip-hop only has like 35 years old and it created out of pretty much nowhere and it was like peace love unity and having fun mm -hmm. it's like yo but 
yes, peace, <laughs> love, you, unity, having fun, but it was coming from what? Like from right. systemic oppression, and you want to yeah. erase that. And in a way, like, global, the global culture like, as hip-hop is a way also to legitimize, like, certain, like, white voices that nowadays are becoming like the curators of, of mm. the events, like the experts, the hip-hop gurus that, you know. So, mm. I mean, think about how many famous, or not even famous, but very popular DJs on Apple or, you know, like Beats One and all that are, are like white men now who are the ones doing the interviews with the rappers who are curating playlists that get thousands and thousands of listens to. And and that happens today and it's going to keep happening more and more and more. Mm-hmm. But if, y- if y- it even it happened like before, and some of our community are still like uh, just praising those guys as like the gatekeepers and the curators. We don't have to go s- too far. Like just check like this guy like Stretch Armstrong, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, a lot of people is gonna hate me. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. You know, I, I mean, like honestly, like I really don't don't want to hear like any type of like, you know, white opinion as as the the only legitimate voice to define. <laughs> anything about black and brown brown cultures mm-hmm. like period you know right. what I'm saying I'm done with that shit yeah so, you know. I think that one of the difficult things I have in talking about hip hop with people yeah. is you know there's this conversation around cultural appropriation and I feel like it takes place once a month and I'm actually like really tired of it at the yeah, moment yeah, yeah. but but it never goes to a deeper lab- uh, level where cultural appropriation becomes like a capitalist problem right yeah it's not just when a white person puts on a no, shiki or course not. the dreads it's when they profit off of it of course um and that kind of profit has been the history of most black musical forms like of jazz music of rock and roll of hip hop right um yeah the no, I, I I totally agree. Like uh, you know, most nowadays, like if you if you think of like a music of conciliation, just mm. jazz. Mm-hmm. Who gets uh, who gets like uncomfortable with that? You know, so, and there's like a, a a directly connection with capitalism and exploitation that reshaped a whole genre to the point that it, it became like absolutely neutralized. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like musically it's not enjoyable it can be like amazing you know mm-hmm. but like you know it's like putumayo type of shit mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i think so when it there's a writer trisha rose yeah she wrote the hip-hop wars mm-hmm. and a lot of really great hip-hop literature uh one of the things she says is hip-hop we have to hold it responsible critically meaning it didn't create the problems of sexism or colorism or hyper masculinity but it does sustain them and perpetuate them in certain ways that we have to kind of critically hold accountable for. Yeah. So what are what are what are our ways for doing that? Because like for me, I love I love like female MCs. Whenever you know a friend, uh, well, an acquaintance of mine who's a rapper, uh, Narcy up in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about favorite MCs. I said all my favorite MCs are femcs. Like yeah, <laughs> our yeah. lists are never gonna look the same when we list them. Yeah. Um. But, but I guess. Would you say that in the same way that hip hop's kind of co-opting and integration to the capitalist system is resembling exploitation, that hip hop's recent adoption or readoption of the femcy and uh, of this kind of gender and masculinity playfulness again, kind of also resembles that same kind of like mirroring of the power structure? It is. It is possible. I I think so, and I I guess like we have to 
we have to see how it evolves you know now like dominating the charts you have you have like cardi b right but let's see if other voices as well like that are coming from from like different narratives mm -hmm. that are probably not as easy to market mm -hmm. are gonna are gonna get the same shine you know so think about like Surat, like Surat, right for example yeah. she's she, I, i think like if if you analyze her work in terms of like how solid it she is as a performer or as a lyricist she's she's like top of the top she's mm. she's amazing right but like why Sarah is not like you know selling mm -hmm. millions i mean we we know we know why but yeah. let, let's see how it evolves you know I, yeah. i think the fact that you know the fact that cardi b is there hopefully it will at least create some sort of like uh an effect even if it's by quote unquote by accident you know mm -hmm. so hopefully mm -hmm. it will like create create a shift in, yeah. in things you know and i i think You know, when it comes to when we think of political organizers and activists, um, we think of them having to make kind of concede power in certain ways so they can move more fluidly in another way. Right. Like being critical with all the decisions they make, understanding that at times they may have to wane on their principles a slight bit over here so that in the future they can do more work here. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a disconnect in us kind of thinking that about organizers and activists and not hip hop artists? Because I see someone like Cupcake, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with her yep. music. I mean, I'm I'm like a I'm a fan. I'm yeah, I love yeah. Cupcake. She's a dope lyricist and has songs that talk about colorism, racism, you know, sexual assault, all these mm -hmm. things. But then she's she'll she'll very frankly say like I put the songs about sex and and my body out just to get people to listen to the other stuff. You see what I'm saying? Like, do you think that is there is that disruption of that connection? intentional and i know yeah. that whenever i ask questions it really is just like a rant <laughs> no no no. yeah I, i i see so what you're saying is that why cupcake is not like more intentional uh, openly like doing like activist work and just keep keeps N it no i think that so like cupcake you know her principles clearly lie in like like she's able to make political hip-hop right okay. or she's able to make very Again, quote unquote conscious hip hop. Yeah, but she uses the mainstream stuff, which she knows she'll get criticized for from a conscious community, to okay. get people to listen to the other things. Oh, okay. And we see you. activists and organizers doing yeah. the same things at times, taking on larger platforms to get you to oh. listen to their message. Okay, okay. I mean, uh, I think it's it all depends on like what are you doing, what what are you using, what what's I think it. it It goes to the goes back to like the very very particular examples, you know, when it comes to the 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 activist and militant world, you know. Sometimes you hear like, oh, so because we have to like like transgress f from within the system and that type mm -hmm. of stuff. I don't really believe that type of stuff, you know. But I can recognize the value of of an artist that in a way is like okay let me put out like three tracks that I know are gonna like call people attention and then hopefully they can listen to the rest of the album that has like a different type of value I think that's strategic and and I think that's that's valuable and mm -hmm. hopefully it works you know mm -hmm. but it go I, I think it just depends on like each case you know right. yeah I see all right cool well is there um 
again that was just a dope interview thank you for being no, here thank you for the opportunity of man. I appreciate it is there anything else you feel like we didn't cover you want to say to the people while, while you got uh, them here well no just thank you for the opportunity if they, if they have like the the time and desire to, to check more of, on my work like I recommend recommend them to to check the, the documentary. You can find them online. Just Google um, "Nana Dijo" documentary, and it will it will appear. And uh, and I'm on like you know all the the streaming platforms. Just "Boca Floja" as one word. And uh, yeah, that's it. Nice. Now I'm gonna ask you a question to end on, right? Yeah. Just to lighten it up before we end. If you just off the top of your head, had to name your top three MCs. Real quick. All oh, right. <laughs> for, for it's it's a tough one because it depends on the reasons. Mm. Like the you know, but I think mm, just as MCs like that, um, um, Tupac, Big Pun, and um, probably mm, oh, Lauren Hill definitely. Lauren Hill. Yeah, oh, that's, that's an interesting top three. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and. Uh, this has been another episode of the Groundings Podcast. Shout out to Christopher Hollis on the audio. Yep. We got Boca Floja in the studio. And if you enjoyed this episode, it was sponsored by Maria Thomas on my Patreon, who, who paid for this episode to happen. You can sign up at patreon.com slash half Atlanta if you want to support and keep this podcast going. All right. I think that's it. Thank you. <laughs>